Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome a very special guest, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. She is a mom behavior scientist, and burnout survivor. Dr. Kerr is in the top 1% of most cited scientists worldwide, so it's totally appropriate she is on the Wickedly Smart Women podcast for sure, and she left her position as a public health professor in 2018 and now hosts the podcast Overcoming Working Mom Burnout where she interviews researchers, diversity experts, and leadership coaches. She is on a mission to dismantle the causes of working mom burnout, and her TEDx talk provides solutions that we can all use to change the social norms around burnout. I am so excited to have you here with me today on the show. Welcome, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. Thank you so much. And I was so attracted to the Wicked Smart Women heading because actually I've always considered myself as not fart smart. Not fart. <laughs> not smart. I was I was always told as a kid that I wasn't the smart one. I was the hardworking one. Mm-hmm. And so I worked very hard to fulfill that label. But also no matter how hard I worked, I would never become the smart one. Mm-hmm. And so therefore nothing I could do actually led to the right sort of achievement that gained approval. So it's so personal to me to be with you and talking about this topic. Well, it's really exciting that you're here. And let me tell you, woman, if you are the top 1% of most cited scientists worldwide, you are wickedly freaking smart, okay? (laughs) So I don't care who you needed the approval from, just take it from me, okay? (laughs) And from our listeners in 103 countries around the world who are going to love this episode. So Jackie, Jackie, do you mind if I call you Jackie or Jacqueline? You prefer Jacqueline? Well, actually, I have a stand-up comedy set complaining about when people call me Jackie. Okay, great. <laughs> Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Great. In Let the UK, it, we didn't have Jacqueline Kennedy as the as the wonderful. And then in France, when, when people call me Jacqueline, then I feel wonderful. But Jacqueline. Okay, great. I know, well, isn't it so good? <laughs> Jacqueline. Okay, Jacqueline. Well, let's start our little conversation with... I want to hear a little bit about the journey that you took that led to this burnout. You know, it sounds like you started in childhood wanting to, you know, work hard to prove yourself or whatever. So go back as far as you would like to the origins of the burnout, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, and thank you. I think it's really important to highlight that point because actually there is a 12-stage burnout model from Freudenberger and North, and stage one is the compulsion to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can imagine going through multiple stages. You work harder, you avoid conflict, you suppress your needs, you 
withdraw and then go into various stages of of burnout. But it's really that first stage that so many people can relate to. So I do think that's important. I think certainly part of my personality and my family and social conditioning, and maybe even again, the stereotype as, as what it is women should be doing at home and then the workplace plays into that need to prove yourself. So I think there's multiple sources And then we take these personality traits and this conditioning, and then we put it into different workplace environments. And it's really important that fit. So I became a professor. I didn't have a plan to do that in in my life's journey at all, but I got the opportunity to do a master's in exercise and health sciences and just loved the research. So carried on in that role and never saw it as anything I was going to give up because the the curiosity and the ability to do the research. Plus then my research was all about behavior change. Mm -hmm. So actually improving people's health. And that really, really motivated me. So, you know, there's actually quite a, a clear trajectory in academia. And I think maybe that appealed to me, some of the rules and some of the institutional things. I actually grew up also going to boarding school. So kind of institutional environments were maybe something that I was used to, felt comfortable in. And so, yeah, just proceeded through the path to become a full professor. I was bringing in millions and millions of dollars in research from the National Institutes of Health, leading a very successful research group, a leader, right? But I thought I didn't have enough leadership. So I started going for more leadership across the university in our cancer center. And that actually process led me to having less autonomy. Autonomy is something that's really important. Having much more difficult situations with values alignment and potentially sort of toxic colleagues in that environment. And so, yes, that that sort of led to my burnout. But at the same time, I was a mom and my son was being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So I was really in one of these situations where I was crying on the way to work and crying on the way home. And there is parental burnout, you know, when you're feeling Mm -hmm. that you're not able to do your role properly as a parent so really that that's what I experienced. And again, this situation of just feeling like I was never enough. So mm-hmm. really done a lot of work on those expectations as a sort of perfectionist, people pleaser, overgiver, because we can work on those. But they're also good traits. So I, I hope also that our companies can start to value our caring and collaborative natures in the right way. Beautiful. Well, there's a lot of directions that I would like to go here. So the the first thing I would like to go deeper into is this compulsion to prove yourself, which I think is, you know, certainly something that wickedly smart women often have that. That's probably what caused them to become academically, you know, credentialed and do all the things. Would you share, if you're willing, do you have any awareness of or access to the exact conditionings maybe in your own childhood that triggered that compulsion to prove? Do you have a little story? Like I I have a story that when I was like nine years old, my mom was the cookie chairman for the, for the Girl Scouts, right? And I sold 763 boxes of cookies. The next nearest girl sold 28. So, (laughs) so do you have like, do you have yourself some awareness of where that was triggered or initiated in your own journey? Yeah, I think the comparison really came with my brother who, who didn't have to work hard and who 
was always assumed to be to be the smart one. So the comparison there was always made. And actually, the first comparison was, we don't expect you to do well, so just try to be happy instead. We know your brother will do well. And then as later I then proved, you know, I can do well too. But it was always this situation of, oh, yes, remember when he got an A in the general knowledge topic or something? Because that's something that showed pure talent, not just hard work. So, I mean, at the end of the day, my grades and my education far surpassed him. But that sort of feeling that, you know, if you had to work hard, there was less, it was so ironic, there's less value in it, even though yet I was given a very important hard work ethic from from Protestant Scottish parents, right? Work hard was an important message, Mm -hmm. but it was somehow this, you know, catch 22 around it. And so one of the best things for me, when I read Crowell Dweck's mindset book, where she explained what a fit mindset was and an open mindset. That's when I started to really realize not only had I grown up in this environment with a very fixed mindset of what was, you know, of value, but also that she says in that book, the people succeed have talent and hard work. You can't get in life alone on on talent. So it made me realize, you know, that that, that was okay that i that i had both but to be honest you know when i was going into burnout and starting to recognize that somebody had said to my husband she's the hardest working person i know mm. and i did not take that as a compliment mm. and it made me go that's not the person i want to be i mm. want to be the smartest working person in the room mm. and so i was still striving for that fixed definition in some way i think mm. Yeah, one of the things that I've been practicing in my own life and that I also help my clients with is to not be seduced by the culture of busy, right? Because there is this cultural, certainly here in the US, and I'm not really clear how pervasive it is around the world, but our we seem to leak over into lots of places. <laughs> there's this culture of busy and there's this idea that the you know if you work hard you're going to succeed and if you're working hard at the wrong thing you're never going to succeed and you're just going to burn yourself out so i want to talk now before we go to the break just briefly about this piece about being a, a mom and having parent burnout too because i do feel like there's a certain generation of women i will include myself in it and probably many of the people who are listening to this show where we were actually programmed. We were programmed by the society. We were programmed by Madison Avenue and advertising. We were programmed by the cultural shifts that were happening in the late 60s, 70s around women's liberation. We were we were actually conditioned to believe that we had to do all of it. Like we had to bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and never let him forget he's a man, which was one of those old perfume commercials. So can you speak a little bit about about the parental burnout piece, which I'm sure happens even with people who don't have special needs children? Right. And and really to relate it back to, you know, your first comment there about the focus in the US and the individual working hard mentality. And I do think it's different because I remember when I took on a postdoctoral 
fellowship here in the US, everybody said to me, be careful, they will burn you out. You know, they they definitely work weekends there in academia, whereas, you know, in the UK, they weren't tending to do that at that time. I think it has actually changed. And how that relates to parental burnout is in the research on parental burnout, Dr. Isabel Roskam, who I interviewed for my podcast, did a 52-country study and found that there is greater burnout in countries like the U.S., where there is this individualistic focus. You will pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Because mm. what that does is it inhibits you asking for help. Mm. So the message is it's weak, it's not appropriate to ask for help. And that is one of the, the biggest things we can do for ourselves. And that was actually the point I realized. My journey got to the point where I was experiencing suicide ideation. And I wrote a letter to my kids apologizing for the fact that I couldn't help myself. And that's when I looked at those words and said, why can't I ask for help? Why am I not asking for help? Mm. So that was a really pivotal moment for me. And so the parental burnout is this experience that you're you're not enjoying your role as a parent, that you're sensing you're not doing it as well as you were previously, there's shame in it. At extreme levels, it can actually also lead to child abuse because in similar with the workplace burnout, we start to not see people as humans when you not when you start to not see your child as a child that you should be nurturing. So, so it's a very complex and Im- important problem. But in terms of, you know, you definitely see higher rates when there is a child with special needs, but a lot of the times it's in these communities in these countries with an individual focus. And I think relating to your the 60s and 70s, the gender expectations also. So there's less likely to be parental burnout in countries where there is less gender inequality mm. because the women in those countries know the state, right? They know, okay, the man comes home, he puts his feet up and I serve him. And that's how it is. Whereas in the US here, we don't have those expectations. We have the expectation of equality and the cognitive dissonance. And the reality is it doesn't yet exist. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it also harder for women in the US with parental burnout is the equality we're expecting is definitely not there in the home. Mm. No, unfortunately, in the workplace yet. Yeah. Wow. Well, ladies, we are going to take a break now. And speaking of asking for help, because we want to model good asking for help, I'm going to exercise my asking for help muscle right now. We could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a financial donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so we can serve them too. I do want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners from around the world who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We are welcoming thousands and thousands of downloads right now, and we are downloading officially in 103 countries. So we're going to shout out this week to our listeners in the UK to our listeners in Scotland, and to our listeners in Nigeria. And we will be right back with Dr. Jacqueline Kerr.
The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by The Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by women in transition, women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. Before we went to the break, we were talking about parental burnout, working mom burnout. And I want you to know where you can find out more information and potentially work with her. You can go to www.drjacquelinekerr.com and we will have that link for you in the show notes. So I'd love to see, Jacqueline, if you have maybe three top things that you would like to convey to our listeners that they can do to either assess for themselves, like self-assess and say, oh shit, I'm getting crispy on the edges, right? Or that if they are already clear that they're burning out or in burnout, that, that they can utilize to begin the journey out of that condition. One really helpful self-assessment tool is resentment. If you have gone to a place of resentment and then even more intensely to rumination, that can be a very early sign of burnout that you're resentful for the things that that previously could have been joys in your life and that everything's feeling like an obligation. So that's a really early sign to look for. A lot of people, it's like we're frogs in the boiling water. And so we don't recognize the stress increasing. So it can be very hard to recognize it. And in fact, most people do not. And burnout hits them with a physical illness, with a suicide ideation episode, or literally fatigue to the point of not being able to get out of bed. So yes, if, if you're experiencing some sort of illness or or are having, you know, problems with your mental health, then then definitely most important step is to go seek medical help because it is a very serious condition. But you don't have to be in burnout at that stage, right? We can intervene so much earlier. And that's what's so important is to recognize it before it gets to that stage. So the early signs like rumination negative coping skills, the the extra glass of wine, things to numb, even that sense of if you actually asked yourself, what do I want? And if you're not able to answer that question, because you've spent so much time putting other people's needs first, those are all signs. If again, someone like me, my British background, not able to feel, express, understand my emotions. Those are all things that you can recognize in yourself. And if you know you're a people pleaser and overgiver, then you know you're going to be at risk. So, mm-hmm. so or ambitious, right? You're going to be at risk. So those are all things. Now, if you are actually then sort of in this process of recovery, you're not in the state of, of needing medical help. Again, thinking about this as a season, 
It can take a while to recover. And many people worry about not being able to get out of it and not being the same person on the other side. And I really sort of see in that I I was quite proud of the professor that I was, but I'm not going to be that person again. And, you know, that I've learned so much in this process. So, So I'm, you know, I think it's really seeing this opportunity for growth. But one of the most important things is to really sit down and say, what parts of my job, what parts of my life are unpaid work that I do not want to do as well. So often we take on the office housework type tasks and they are not getting us the promotion that's promised from them. So really, really thinking about what is the work I'm doing that's unpaid. Unfortunately, again, without child tax credits in the US and things like that, most of motherhood and parenting is unpaid. But in those situations, you can be saying, am I volunteering at my kid's school because I felt obliged to or because I actually love that whole process? Mm. So it's it's really, really thinking about the unpaid work. And then another tool that I did for myself was analysis of my yes and no's. And actually, when you start tracking how often you say yes and no, one, you start to realize every time I say no, I feel guilty. And two, how often you're saying yes without being asked when you didn't need to. Mm -hmm. And so even a little metric there is to say yes, only one in 10 times and getting a handle on this sense of what are you doing out of obligation and what are you saying yes to? Because there's a cost to everything we do. That's why it's like the unpaid work. There's a cost to that unpaid work. It is taking away your energy. And so that's what we have to start recognizing is is the costs of all our, our, our choices. And these things help you then get this sense of empowerment and control mm. that you're not a victim, right? And that you do have some power in this situation. And that's also extremely important. Well, I, I could literally talk to you for hours. <laughs> like I've got notes all over the place here. I'm like, oh my goodness, where are we going to go with this? So I want to talk about the no because for me, I I would say that I also experienced burnout more than once in a variety of industries. And one of the things that I'm practicing right now is being the nope queen. And I actually have on my kitchen table, a little sign that says nope, and then another little sign that says queen. And I'm using that as support to just like, I'm keeping score of how many no's I'm saying. And and the more I say no, the, the stronger my actual yes becomes. That's what I've been noticing. I, I want to talk about this whole unpaid thing because this is really, I think, the crux of what causes the problem because it feels to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels to me Like there is this both emotional as well as cultural and societal expectation that we are going to do things like hold space for our children or our spouses or create the environment where everyone can thrive. And it's it's activities that we actually want to do from our heart of hearts. But as you said, it costs everything Everything costs time, energy, and attention. So I'd love to have you speak in the last few minutes that we have about how we can remain emotionally connected to either our work or our families and our deep sense of generosity and wanting to be creating and simultaneously reconcile that it's unpaid 
and that it is costing us? Yes. And that's a hard question just juxtaposed in that way and not an easy one to answer in terms of, yes, live from your values, but sometimes your values are values like obligation and responsibility and meeting those. So it can be very, you know, difficult. I think actually assessing as a whole, like from the family situation, what brings your family energy? I think again, as we think back to the to the pandemic, what was the sigh of relief we all had when we could sit down on the sofa and watch a movie together instead of running around to to all these extra extracurricular activities? Mm-hmm. And I think that also comes back to sort of what is our love language and our kids' love language, because if we're delivering things that we think are expressions of love. So for example, with my husband, I discovered his love language was quality time. So actually sitting on the sofa with him watching some football was absolutely what he wanted me to do. It never occurred to me that that would be me expressing love or that should be a thing that I could could do and spend time doing for him. So I think that's part of it as well, is actually sort of really being thoughtful about that. Because as a colleague in Denmark shared with me, his team actually does like an an energy analysis when they start to work together and they basically do activities and they all reflect on whether it gave them energy or not. They also observe each other. What does this person look like when they're energized and when their energy is drained? And then from that point, you create a team that basically, you know, whoever is comfortable and is not drained by making decisions is the decision maker. The person who is the connector in the team is the connector because you see them light up. Not everybody lights up in that situation. So I think thinking about that again with our kids, like how often are we dragging them (laughs) to some event because we think it's good for their CV in future. I don't know what we end up thinking, right? And again, even the US Surgeon General recently used this example. There's a company in Hawaii who are getting rid of all the stupid stuff within their company. So in companies, we spend so much time doing things and processes that that are no longer useful. Mm -hmm. So it really, really is about focus. If you're going to spend your energy on something, and especially if it's not going to be paid because lack of reward is such a part of burnout in the workplace. If we're not receiving reward and fair reward, that's what leads to burnout. That's why burnout isn't just overwork. It's lack of reward, lack of justice, lack of collegiality. So again, all these things, if we really are giving our time away for free, we need to know, really understand what it's in service of. And that it is bringing us energy, not draining our energy. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Well, ladies, I hope that you have taken to heart all that Dr. Jacqueline Kerr has shared with us today. And I am quite sure there is exponentially more available from her. And I encourage you to go to her website to find out more about how to overcome working mom burnout. And we do love feedback. So please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We'll have that number for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. And let us know if this episode energized you or if you, or if it drained you, right? You, You know, we are definitely interested in energizing our audience as well as educating our audience. So 
We might even give you a shout out on the show if you send in some feedback to us. Thank you for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.